I know that young people think they're invincible and rich people think they're invincible and you've always been both. So take it for someone who hasn't, you're not. You will get hurt. So please don't go out looking for it. I'm Andy Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today we're going to talk about Hawkeye here on Genres. No, you have not gone backwards in time to last year um, and are secretly listening to a different version speechless. We are, in fact, talking about Hawkeye again, but this time we're talking about the Marvel show and not the comic book run that this show is based on. Confused yet? You will be in this episode of Soap. That's not true. We are, in fact, redoing it because we are on Earth 614. It is so close <laughs> to 616 that you think that you've heard it before. Right. Um, it's like the, the, the version of Earth that is identical to Marvel, but also has Jay and Miles as canonical Marvel characters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a deep cut for me and Chris and probably nobody else. <laughs> you never know. Maybe Jay and Miles stumbled over our podcast and went, hey, yes. they made a joke about us. And that was like the full length of that conversation. Right. It's like, and then moved on with their lives, right? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so I mean, uh, so I, I this is gonna be kind of weird because, like, on one hand, I did six whole episodes of the comic book run that this show is based on. So, on some level, if you've heard that, I, I will probably end up repeating some stuff I said on there before. I, I haven't listened to it. I, I've forgotten most of it, so it's also very likely I'll, I'll repeat it just because I've forgotten what I said. Um, but also, I do think that it's good coming back to this on some level for me because A, it's a very important show for me personally, uh, but B, after having done a lot of other shows now, uh, uh, there's be some interesting, I think, new context coming to this because I'm not looking at it in isolation anymore, now looking at it in the context of both the other Marvel shows we've already looked at and the wider. Uh, superhero genre that we've been steadily uh, exploring. So um, I think it'll be interesting. And also, the person I haven't talked about with Chris specifically, so I mean, that'll also bring something to the conversation. I'm not sure exactly what, but we'll figure it out. Just, just a whole bunch of West Coast Avenger jokes is all going to get from me. Oh, God. So, um, uh, West Coast Avengers. Uh, there's, actually, there's actually a fantastic reboot of West Coast Avengers that was done a few years ago that has Kate Bishop as Hawkeye in it. Um, and it's 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 amazing. I know, I know that's hence the the array of jokes we have. Clint Barton, <laughs> West Coast Avengers. And we have Kate Bishop, with West Coast West Coast Avengers. If I want to give another deep cut to a podcast that I listen to that I keep talking about called Geek History Lessons, I could say the uh, West Coast Avengers. Dun dun dun. Deep cut <laughs> just for me. Even Eddie's like, what what the hell are you doing? I'm I'm laughing because it's just great to hear you saying. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You, you say that now, but think about all those poor people in college when I would go do karaoke every Monday and Wednesday night that I tortured. They wow. didn't think it was great. Even wow. with alcohol, they didn't think it was great. <laughs> that's impressive. But I did not care. Hmm. Right. guess that says more about me than them, though, huh? <laughs> it says something about the relative alcohol levels, I think, about pretty involved. <laughs> I am curious, though, because you've done a run, a speechless run for Hawkeye and Green Arrow. If you're going to actually intermingle any Green Arrow bits with Hawkeye, 
That is where my question mark is. Well, I mean, um, I, 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 I was actually thinking about it as I did this thing. There's going to be some things, some contextual stuff with, with the Arrow TV show, right? Um, uh, and how much or how little they overlap. So, I mean, I think there's going to be some of that I have some thoughts on. Um, and also, there's some thoughts on this that relates to actually the last show we just talked about. Um, there's connections there that I think are interesting. Uh, but um, for those who don't want to go back and listen to six hours of me gushing over one of my favorite comic book runs ever, um, Hawkeye is Clint Barton. He is a guy who shoots arrows. He's also an Avenger. That's that's Clint Barton in a nutshell. Uh, Kate Bishop is someone who thinks Hawkeye is great, but also kind of an asshole. Uh, and she also shoots his arrows. And she wants to be an Avenger, and is a young Avenger, and is also a West Coast Avenger, but not, I think, yet been a full Avenger. But she is also Hawkeye. They're both Hawkeye. Are you saying that the MCU version of Hawkeye is the exact same as the 616 version of Hawkeye? Yes, they're completely identical. There is no change. No, 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 no. There's, there's some significant differences. Um, partially one of them being one that we did deep cut for in a previous episode, where this version of Hawkeye has never, in fact, ever been Giant Man. So that is a huge change right there. So a lot of the uh, MCU characters are almost there. There was an Ultimates run that came out, and a lot of the MCU characters are based closer to the Ultimates run version mm -hmm. of the character while they're trying to bring in a lot of the 616 history for the characters, which is the more comic comic histories. Right. Um, and this is one where, to, to be blunt, Hawkeye's never been a fully fleshed out character. Um, this is the only time he's ever been the focus of any meaningful storylines. Um, uh, he has uh, a relationship with uh, the Black Widow, the relationship as in what that was. It was implied it was a romantic relationship that became a friendship. Um, he literally got a family off screen uh, in one movie. Uh, and so this, this show's doing a lot of backfilling into that. Um, but from what we get from this show, uh, his comic book con or his MCU continuity is closer to the Ultimates one. The fact that he's a spec ops guy, uh, implied that he worked heavily with Shields, is probably a former Shield agent, and then became an Avenger. Um, so skips over his villainous career, skips over his time in the circus, skips over his brother, uh, a, a lot of other stuff, and obviously um, his relationship with the Swordsman, uh, uh, which is Jack Duquesne, which we'll talk about. Definitely in this show, um, kind of gets glossed over too. So, so it's not. While he is in a place that is approximate to where he is in the comic book run, this is based on how he got here is very different, and where this show goes is very different. So, it's based on this run in the sense of there are certain scenes that are similar to this run, and certain rough conceit, uh, which is Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. Uh, squabble and ultimately defeat a Russian mafia mafia group in this tracksuit mafia. That's basically all they have in common with each other. So you don't really need to have read the comics to kind of understand what's happening in this show. And this show, actually, unlike uh, the previous show, does a pretty good job at recapping where Hawkeye is for people who haven't necessarily watched all the movies. Oh, come on, bro. What you talking about, bro? Bro. Um, one of my favorite moments, however, is uh, one of the subtitles, because I usually watch subtitles on for reasons that I'll definitely get into. Um, the the Tracksuit Mafia are subtitled as speaking in Polish, but even though the character is supposed to be Russian, <laughs> <I'm> like, 
that's that's uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, that could go anywhere from the translator didn't know what language is being spoken, or the the subtitle not spoken, all the way to there's actually an intersection of Polish and Russian characters in this in a way that actually makes sense and can cannot be tied to the comic, but also is probably not what they intended. So I'm going to shoot for that was probably an error in the subtitles. <laughs> but this version of Hawkeye then skips over Hawkeye's greatest moment in the entire, all the multiverses, his best moment ever. Do you know what that the is? West Coast, the West Coast Avengers. Uh... It deals with him a little bit, but do you know the, like the, the, the best time, the moment? The time he divorced his wife because she was uh, trying to murder a guy from the 19th century? Uh, no, but I, I say kudos for Mockingbird for doing it, though. Um, <laughs> it is when the Avengers and the West Coast Avengers teamed up and they were beaten by the Grandmaster and Hawkeye, little, little Hawkeye, defeats the Grandmaster with Captain America watching and everyone else defeated. With arrows. I actually not read that run. It was a an annual. Well, this shows how much I love the Avengers. Oh, it was an annual. There you go. That's why <laughs> it was an annual. It was like a, an annual, and they had like the they were they pulled a base an X Men thing. They were playing baseball. And then the Grandmaster shows up. The Grandmaster is like this cosmic being that is super powered, beats them all, and Hawkeye knows that he loves games, and he challenged him to a game. And Hawkeye broke out two arrows, and said. Uh, it was like, no, he had like an arrow and something else. It's like, which one of my hands is it in? And the Grandmaster chose. And the Grandmaster, after he left, Hawkeye, Captain America's like, Hawkeye, how could you have done that? You risked everything. And Hawkeye's like, no, I cheated and we won. Hawkeye. <laughs> and that, that, that's a really good summation of Clint Barton as a character in both versions, right? In the fact that. He knows he doesn't have super soldier serum. He doesn't turn into a green monster. He doesn't have a suit. He doesn't have decades of Russian spec ops training. So he will do whatever it takes to win. And also he has a superhumanly high ability to take a beating. Uh, and those are basically his powers, right? Um, he's really good at aiming and he's really good at taking a beating. And that's basically it. Uh, but one thing that I like about this show and the comic run that's loosely inspired by is the fact that it, it, it shows the extrapolations of that. And there's one of the episodes we'll talk about um, where that's a, a great example of that. But is that when you actually dig into Hawkeye as a character with someone who cares about uh, Hawkeye, he's actually a really interesting uh, character and tells some great stories. The problem is... Nobody cares about Hawkeye. <laughs> and he is, he is kind of the Aquaman of, of the, the Avengers in the sense that he is a character that can be cool if, if the right writer really goes with him, but that very rarely happens. But then they also, because I read, I remember reading some of the comic book run for this, and it also goes into Hawkeye's relationships that he's had over the years, though, and that becomes a, a big thing. Because unlike in the TV show and movies, Hawkeye in the comics is divorced how we touched on and has had an array of of partners and his relationships are always usually very messy and don't end well but these people as they're usually superheroes are a constant part of his life regardless Mm -hmm. uh and one thing uh, i do want to talk about a little bit is um hawkeye's hair and loss uh because it is a key point of this show uh it's a key point of the one that's based off of and it is canonical 
question mark. Um, in the sense that in the seventies, he did in fact lose his hearing, and uh, Stark made him a superpowered hearing aid. And the initial intent, and I believe it was Steve Englehart who did this, uh, was that you know he could also have super hearing as well as being a great shot. That was like basically way to give him another superpower. This was forgotten pretty much immediately, and for about a decade and a half. Um, so he just kind of, they just never really brought it up again. Um, and then every once in a while, a writer would go, oh, wait, he has hearing loss, and they'll, they'll work it back in on some level. But because it's super science hearing aid, this kind of never became an issue. Uh, so Matt Fraction, who wrote the original run, um, brought it back in a very real way, uh, partially because he also has hearing loss. Um, and so uh, he brought a level of, of reality to it that uh, resonated with me as someone with hearing loss. Uh, and the fact that this show addressed that directly is really important to me. Um, it, it, it's the, it, it's not the first time I have seen myself in media, uh, outside of the other comic book run, uh, but it was the first time that someone with hearing loss was portrayed as a hero to me and the, then the lead character. Uh, so, um, I cannot talk about this show objectively. I will try. I will try my damnedest to because this show does have problems. I, I, I will not separate from that. But I want everyone to know going in that this is a show that, that means a lot to me because uh, it's very, very rare to see someone like this. Although it is rapidly getting better. There's been a huge increase of that in the past few years, uh, um, even since this show. So it, 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 it's getting a lot better, but it's still, this was this is a, a very emotional show. Insert joke here. All right. So, um, I, I promise, I swear, I will keep my, my standard logical approach to everything and not add any additional context or, any, or anything else to it. Who are you and what have you done with Chris Spivey? <laughs> um, joke inserted. Side note, though. So, <laughs> I am I'm happy to hear you say all that and that, like, yeah. this show means that much to you. And I can tell you just from the the premise of our show and as we're buddies, something that I think we've talked about before, and I'm going to state it here. Now the devil requires no more advocates. And so no one is going to play the devil's advocate on our show. If someone loves something unabashedly, that's just not going to happen. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I, there are some things I do. I will talk about that address it. Well, I'll talk about the context of the episodes themselves um, because it's better framed like that. Uh, um, but is there anything else you want to talk about the show overall kind of before we go into it? I can't believe this show didn't give me a purple suited Hawkeyes until the last step. Wait a second. I can't believe that Daredevil didn't put him in a red costume until, wait a second. I can't believe Green Arrow didn't put him in a, wait a second. I will say in this show's defense, at least that's a running gag. <laughs> <laughs> But also, against the show, it's a gag. <laughs> so, I mean, um, it, it doesn't quite... And this show is actually an interesting place, actually. That's, just, that's, a, that's a good point. It's an interesting place in the sense that Hawkeye is at a point where the MCU has been going on long enough, both on Disney+, Plus and with the movies, that it can start to poke fun at the tropes in a, in a very mild way. Um... Some mild spoilers for later, but I mean, She-Hawk does this much more effectively and much more deliberately, so we're not quite there to that yet. Um, but 
right now, at least, is the show that's kind of going, okay, the, the conceits of the Marvel Universe are a little silly at times, and the show kind of, it doesn't send those up, but it does point out that when you think about some of this stuff logically, there are weird consequences. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the benefits of the show, uh, and in fact, it does that. Um, but it fails in other areas. So. Uh, well, I could do this all day. Uh, no, no other, no other, no other comments <laughs> until you, you've given a synopsis. I, I see how I resisted singing that musical bit, just barely. I know. Just you're, you're just like choking it back. All right. Episode one: Never Meet Your Heroes. In 2012, during the Battle of New York, a young Kate Bishop witnesses Clint Barton battling the aliens that invaded New York and inspires to become a hero like him after he inadvertently saves her life. In the present, Bishop destroys a bell tower with a bow and arrow, while Barton and Kate Bishop destroys a bell tower with a bow and arrow. Just kind of really emphasize that, where this is the kind of show that we're talking about here. Uh, while Barton spends time with his children in New York for Christmas by watching an Avengers musical with his hearing aids off. Later, uh, Bishop attends a charity auction gala with her mother, Eleanor, and learns that her mother is engaged to Jack Duquesne. Underneath the gala in a wine cellar, Bishop stumbles onto a black market auction featuring items recovered from the remains of the Avengers compound, finding Duquesne and his uncle, Armand III, among the attendees. The auction is interrupted by the tracksuit mafia, who attempt to recover a watch among the items. As Duquesne steals Barton's Ronin sword, Bishop recovers Barton's Ronin suit and defeats the Mafia members while wearing it. After rescuing a stray dog she later names Lucky the Pizza Dog, she escapes to her apartment before tracking down Armand to investigate further, but discovers that Armand has been murdered in his home and is cornered by the tracksuit Mafia after fleeing the crime scene. Barton, who saw a news report of the Ronin's return, rescues Bishop from the gangsters. So, um, this is actually a slightly longer episode than most of the other ones. Um, uh, uh, most of the ones tend to be about 40-ish minutes. This one's about 10 minutes longer because a lot more kind of happens here. Uh, but one thing this does that I liked that we kind of uh, gave a little bit of stick to um, uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier on is that it does try to insert clips from the movies to contextualize what's going on. And Although in the beginning of this, what actually happens is they recreate from a different angle uh, what happened in the, the, the first Avengers movie. This is basically taking place during the first Avengers movie, um, during that massive fight scene near the end. And so they kind of restage that. Um, uh, and I, I, I checked this at one point in time. I have not double-checked to make sure if my memory is still correct, but I believe that there is a scene in the movie where Clint is on a tall building and does something roughly equivalent to what happens here, and then the show kind of frames it to say, okay, that was a building A was in. But they do, rather than using footage, they actually do kind of refilm that all, which is, which is a neat touch. It was a neat little way to kind of uh, uh, say, we're going re to remake this scene effectively. Um, Very nice. But uh, uh, I do want to kind of start with, you know, Digressing one of the elephants in the room on this, uh, which is um, we have another rich white character uh, who ultimately gets to be a superhero. And on the one hand, it's frustrating because we've had no end of rich white characters who end up being superheroes in all the superhero media we've looked at. Like who? But, who? What other? 
What other rich white characters have we had that get to be superheroes? We'll be here all day. One of them also uses a bow and arrow, Chris. What? <laughs> what? Shocked, I say. Shocked. Um, uh, but, I mean, uh, one, th- one of the reasons why I chose it the way I did is because the show at least attempts to address it. I don't know if it adequately does because I don't think the MCU is a position where it can ever adequately address that concern. You mean because we had a decade of primarily just white superheroes and all the movies and everything else constantly? Right, right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's something that's, that's embedded in the Marvel DNA. It's embedded in the MCU DNA. It's embedded now in the Disney DNA. It would take a lot to extract or, or confront that. Uh, so um, it is on one level kind of an eye-rolling. Like, oh, look, it's we're another show centered around rich people. Uh what I think helps is the fact that Clint is not himself rich. And how Kate navigates her life because she grew up a certain way because of her privilege is at least addressed in the show. It never really punctured, but her pri- her privilege is something that is at least a, a constant thread through the show. So it's it's addressed, but it's not really... Uh, rebutted in any meaningful way. So one of the things that they tried to do, which is uh, the the easy, subtle, offhanded route, is that even at the start, well, you notice Kate is about to pull off her stunt and bring down Stain Tower. Uh, mm-hmm. That's joking of itself in the Stain Tower. <laughs> yes. Is that her two sidekicks are people of color. Yep. And so that's how they're trying. That's a, a Hollywood trick where they put minor, they put secondary characters in as POCs that you will then take off screen and not see again right. while you're still having all your focus in your, on your white characters. Right. That for yeah. me is a ongoing frustration throughout most of the media that we engage with. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's going to be uh, the thread of at least my negative comment from all of this is that I, and I don't think any of them are specifically endemic to Hawkeye, but mm-hmm. um, uh, rather just like you said, this is some, a, a thread that, we have seen him more probably because you see, frankly. It's and, frustrating, but it doesn't deal with it. And something that's going that'll come up that I was going to say for later, but we have Kate, who is uber confident, like mm-hmm. uber competent. Mm-hmm. And if we have, frequently, we'll have a marginalized character who's trying to take a similar journey, but their competence level is never written to be the same as a white protagonist. This is something I've mentioned in the past. It's something that is also another irritant, even as we continue to do these and we delve into more things. Even if you just go look at across the spider, Mm -hmm. no, into the spider verse for the first one, Mm -hmm. miles getting powers, entire scope is miles being unable to accomplish his task until eventually at the end, he finds the ability to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sam is cap is portrayed in the same, same sort of model and aspect. Mm -hmm. While if you go and look at, Peter Parker Spider-Man, Peter gets his powers and is exceptional almost from the jump. There's like a minute and a half of, hmm, I don't know. Oh, look at me. I'm amazing. Right. And that is a similar arc that we're almost seeing here with Kate. Right. Again, I mean, the the show is making attempts towards it. Like, for example, the title sequence is actually showing Kate growing up, effectively. And it is her constantly, you know, winning awards and, and, uh, and archery and, you know, and uh, uh, fencing 
and whatnot. So, like, at least the show's making an extremely token effort to say she spent her entire life devoting herself to this ideal. So it's not just she picked up a bow and arrow and suddenly she's amazing with it, right? You know, it's like, no, she spent most of her childhood doing this. Sam is a fully trained special ops. No, right, yeah. I, I'm military. Not making, yeah. It, it's yeah. still a problem, right? Um, uh, uh, like I said, it, 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 it's not it's not great. Um, it's a half step. And, I mean, also could be argued that part of the reason why she had the ability to refine herself in this way was because of her privilege. You know, because her family was rich, she was able to get access to these things that other people would not be able to have access to. What? Are you saying in a, in a capitalist society, people with money can do almost anything they want if they have enough of that that substance? I, I would not know about that as a as a poor, working, struggling writer just trying to get by. <laughs> hey, did, did we mention that I have a Patreon and that Eddie publishes books? <laughs> yes, please. Please show your affection with money. Secret plug. But now, the scene itself was very funny, to put the right. other stuff aside. And it was a good capstone to show us who Kate is as a character, I think. Right, exactly. And, and there's a throwaway line that actually is important later where um, Eleanor basically says "You, this is a priceless irreplaceable historical thing now I have to pay for it and then that's pretty much the end of this conversation right but at least the show did something right it's just the now the rich person is going to pay off the school to make this go away she, she's ex- she's not explicitly saying that but the show is not the show is not glossing over it Eleanor's glossing over it so there's a, there's a, uh, again, there's, there's, a, there's nuance here. And then again, the show's going to pay that off. What um, age do you think Kate is supposed to be in the show? I believe she's supposed to be college age. Uh, I, I, I know that, but I mean, are we thinking like 18? Are we oh, thinking no, I, I think he's almost out of college. Uh, I think she's 19, yeah. 20. Uh, uh, just because um, there are a couple of throwaway lines. They may not be in these episodes we watched of her making comments like drinking and, and, and Going out with friends, so okay. so that implies that she's she's college age, um, and she also has her own apartment. So. Well, I, I've known people that have had their own apartment; they were like sixteen. So, oh well, that could just could be growing up in Alabama, though. So take that as a in context. That's true. That's true. Um, so now we go to uh, weirdly the thing this show is known the most for, and I don't know entirely why, but it is, which is. The musical. Uh, uh, Steve Rogers, the musical specifically, where they watch. We only see a few minutes of it, but Marvel did eventually release uh, a longer cut of. Apparently, the whole musical was more or less like a 10 minute musical was actually staged for this show. And now there's going to be an actual Steve Rogers, the musical in the real world that's being made as a result of this TV show. I thought I'd heard rumor of that, and now they hear it. I love it. I will have to go see it because it will not stay open long. It'll probably end up like Spider-Man in the Dark or that Superman the musical that no one remembers. It was an actual I was, thing. I was about to mention those because, yeah, because there, there was a Spider-Man musical attempted in the 70s, I want to say. I'm sorry, what? Spider-Man? No, I'm talking Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, which was a big, colossal U2-back thing that was an utter flop that was utter super oh. dangerous no there was it was a spider-man and a captain america musical that was actually attempted in like the 70s um so the fact that the captain america musical was attempted and failed and now it's going to be a steve rogers musical that probably actually do well is is amazing to me but 
And I remember the Superman one. I did not know about the 70s Captain America one. I'll have to definitely look into that now. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to double check on that. But I remember reading about that. I was like, oh, wait, there's a musical? Um, My only hope, though, is if they make it, it does as well as the Evil Dead musical did. And regardless of what happens, it stays alive. You can still see productions of it all over the world. I, I will say that now living in London, I do occasionally go by the East End, which is the kind of theatrical district. And they will do a musical of fucking anything. I swear to God. Um, I, 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 uh, I recently saw there is a musical for um, uh, 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 the puppet show. I'm liking the name on it. Uh, Avenue Q? No, Thunderbirds. Um, and I'm like, but that's okay. I don't know why you're doing a musical of that. Um, uh, there's another one for Legally Blonde. Yeah, I mean, that one's one's pretty big because so I, I guess I'll give a spoiler away. My my household is a household that loves musicals. We go to, oh, okay. to Broadway once or twice a year to do like the whole New York trip. And for instance, on holidays like the Fourth of July, we watch Hamilton, and we've watched 1776 since it's been out. And funnily enough, though, did you know they all, there's also a Back to the Future musical now? I did see ads for that recently. Actually, yes, you're right. <laughs> Uh, there's, it's a lot. So, so like, I tried to convince Eddie that we, what we need to do is we need to do a a whole season run of musical TV shows. Eddie kaffawed at me. I've never heard him use the word kaffaw before. And he did it. It The kaffaw part is a a joke, but Chris actually pitching musical to me is not a joke. He actually did try to do this. I mean, once because if we did that, we would have the situation that happens in the show where I probably would turn my hearing aid off. (laughs) (laughs) But, I could sing songs from Galavant. We could even go back and as problematic as the person is, we could do like the Buffy episode. We could, there's like so many shows. Oh, if you want, we can even help. We can even make it for your part of the world. And we could go, I want to say it was Viva Laughlin that had David Tennant in it. It's a, oh it's a cop. It's a cop show with David Tennant and, ah, uh, forgot his name now, but he was in the second basic instinct movie he played the doctor but wasn't the doctor in like do you remember this one no so victorian era <clears throat> we're gonna talk about we're talking about hawkeye in a second but i i'm <laughs> diverging now because i haven't talked to it in a bit so we're, we're rambling so do you so tenant run and do you remember when it was like one of the specials he shows up somewhere in like victorian time and is going to help save someone right and the character actor's name i forgot runs out and saves these people. It says, I'm the doctor. And then the whole episode. Oh, right, right. Yeah, him. Yeah. It is him and David Tennant in a cop show that's about six episodes with like David Tennant as a, woo, uh, a questionable police officer. This other person is running like a video arcade and they sing songs, but they're pop songs. Oh, my God. It's like Viva Laughlin or something. And the America tried to make a version of it and it bombed. And this. Yeah, that, fire- that was- Top Cops or whatever it was? Oh, no. This was not that show. This oh. is not the cop singing show. So, anyway, I know a bit about musicals. Just saying. And right. I get excited. Um, I love history uh, of musicals and Doctor Who. What a yeah. weird mix. But uh, So, this and then a little bit afterwards, um, uh, we do see various examples of, of uh, Barton trying to deal with celebrity. And it's something we talked about in the last episode is the difference between how these essentially heroic characters deal with celebrity compared to 
some of the more uh, deconstructionist takes, like Poise, and how those characters are a celebrity. Um, and so uh, we have Clint doing things like some guy trying to take a selfie with him while he's taking a piss. And uh, uh, later on, um, uh, he tries to go out to eat, and the restaurant just, just comps his meal as a thank you. Uh, Clint is deeply uncomfortable with this, but it is juxtaposed by the fact that also other characters in the show don't know who he is, or they misname him. Uh, at one point in time later on, he called Archer as opposed to Hawkeye. Um, so it's 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 kind of a running joke, uh, but it sets up an interesting contrast: is that Clint is not this kind of person. He's used to working in the shadows. He's used to being a person that has never seen that. Well, that's what he's hired to be originally. And now he is a well-known hero, well-known in quotes, well. Um, and so this this is actually an, a, a kind of an arc for him, is that he's trying to balance just having a life, being an Avenger, and what the, the, the intersection was. It's like, he, he, like he lives, again, it's a throwaway bit in one of the Marvel movies, but his family lived pretty far away from everything. He does not like to come to the city. He's come to the city because that's part of, he's, he's there for his kids, basically. He's, he's brought his kids here so they can enjoy Christmas in New York, so they can go back to, away from all these people. That's very much what Clint Barton is. He's only here for his kids. I want to take a minute to talk about the musical, but I want to go into the fame thing first, mm-hmm. since you, you mentioned that specifically. <laughs> and try to dig more into the, to the different dichotomies that we've seen of superheroes and fame, where you have... Mm-hmm. Clint, who is trying not to really engage with it and make it go away, mm. to Sam, who uses it almost for service <clears throat> in trying to help other people, to John Walker, who it's a burden on, but he does it because he thinks it's going to make him more famous, mm-hmm. and all the way over to A-Train's usage of it is like, that's what he wants, and it elevates his status to make more money, but it's also the ultimate tool used against him. Like Those are all variations of it and for all the shows regardless of the stake that we've given them it is a great display of each and every one of those characters yeah um it's a great it's it's a tool that when used well in all those cases you cite it is used well um to allow for a character development to happen um because like you said with with, uh walker and a train they need this right they're they're on some level, this is why they're doing it. And so they're presented very differently from Sam and Clint, who aren't doing this for fame. Fame is an accidental byproduct of what they do. And Sam, like you said, uses it, uh, much like Steve Rogers did, to as a, as a tool to promote his, his ideology. Um, Clint just wants to go away. Um, and what's interesting is that to tie back to another show I watched, um, I'm reminded of an incident that happened with John Cena recently, uh, where um, he was having dinner with his friends, and someone pulled the phone up and started talking to him and said, hey, can you just say, uh, you can't see me? Um, and John said, how about I just say, I need to spend time with my friends here now. And he, the, the guy posted online, and was like, look at this loser, you know, he wouldn't even say the thing. And the, pro, the poster got buried, and it's like, the man was just trying to have a meal with his friends, and you walked up to him. And intersected with that. And so watching the scene of Clint being accosted in the bathroom by the guy who wants a selfie reminded me of that. It's like 
we don't see what we don't see what Clint did with that. Um, we don't know whether he did it or walked away or whatever. And it, it, that, that doesn't. I, I feel like the result doesn't matter. It is more the fact that Clint was trying to just like, hey, not a good time right now, and then this fan pushed, and so we see kind of we start to see why Clint maybe doesn't want to be around his people. You know, maybe he just wants to be with his family and and not deal with this hero stuff. It was a very subtle way of pushing that Clint is not why he does this and, and when, what he wants out of it. Um, one episode we skipped, and I was on the fence about it, uh, but we, episode two talks about where his hearing loss came from. And I love the fact that it's it's very subtle. Basically, it's uh, Kate asks him, how did you lose your hearing? We see clips of the various movies he's been in where he's by explosions, and then goes, it was work. Um, but that's a real thing, right? Like people who work particularly in combat situations do have to deal with hearing loss because mm-hmm. it does damage their hearing very, very badly. Construction workers also have this problem. Um, and this is a very real thing. Um, and so... Even in the military, when we yeah. were uh, learning how to properly use like grenades and stuff, one of the things that they stressed was hearing protection in like those training mm-hmm. environments like because they repeated and i cannot tell you how fucking loud a grenade is in real life compared to what you see in that stuff in the oh, movies really? and other explosions but yeah it's yeah it, 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 it's a real thing so like i i'm honestly very glad that they kind of just handled it that way but this is all kind of building up to where this this picture of clint which is that this is a guy who gave himself and just wants to have family be a normal person and he can't and we don't know why yet but we're very economically setting up who clint barton is as a person if you've not seen any of the movies you, you it's helping to reframe that again something that i felt like um captain american winter soldier didn't quite do as well and it's also this did something similar for wanda and vision because yeah. most of the characters that only received little tidbits of movie time the shows, I think, originally were supposed to help flesh and build those characters out. Right. And for one, Envision, I think it was successful. I think it was successful for Captain America and the Winter Soldier, for the story they were trying to tell. And I feel uh, that it was successful here for Hawkeye. I, I think it was successful for Sam. I don't think it was as successful for Bucky, honestly. I feel like a lot of what Bucky is going through was kind of lost or glossed over. We, we, this isn't like uh, that. We should have. Yeah. Ah, we should really got into that one for that episode. But <laughs> I think a lot of Bucky's journey that they're trying to show us was the same as they were showing us for Steve's, where Steve was a person out of time, crossing things off his list. Bucky was a person that had done a lot of atrocious deeds and is crossing off things on his list. So they sure. were trying to mirror that journey, oh, which was like a shorthand. But they did similar shorthand for all the characters. Right. But my my point is that. <clears throat> The show at no point in time made that connection clear. If you watch the movies, you get that connection, no problem. And I got that connection, certainly. But someone coming into this cold would not have known that context. This show and WandaVision are both making efforts to say, if you're coming to this and not seeing the movies, we'll quietly recap the stuff you need to understand what's happening in this show. Uh, but anyway, we'll agree to disagree on how effective that was. Yeah. Um, because we have a lot more to get through. <laughs> that, what, just because we're still first episode and we're uh, yeah. going on? Right, right. I, I do want to take a minute, though, to talk about the musical, which okay. oh, yeah. I loved. 
and you're seeing Clint bond with his family mm-hmm. and the impetus behind him coming here with his family was to spend time to bond and reconnect with them. And it is a funny bit where he turns off his hearing aid, Mm. but that is indicative of a larger problem with Clint as a parent, because Clint is constantly off adventuring and doing all these other things, which is giving him a separation from his kids. Mm. This is something that he was supposed to do with them and experience with them. And rather than going through it, he disengaged. And you'll see bits of that throughout the show. And so even that is, telling for the character yeah and this is something i was gonna like you say i was gonna bring up later but i'll bring it up here um people with hearing loss engaged in their family is a common problem uh that's one of the reasons why hearing aids are so important for people with hearing loss uh is because often people with hearing loss don't realize disengaged but if they're not hearing what's going on around them they become more inwardly focused uh and especially if they're a private person to begin with, that makes it even harder. Um, so it's it's it tells a lot about Clinton's person. I absolutely agree. Um, and separately, it is also a very real problem for people with this with this ability. Uh, anyway, so let's go to fun stuff like black market auctions. Uh, so um, underneath. Uh, a, there's this wine cellar space after this, this gala. Um, there's a scene where uh, her mother tries to convince her to go to the gala and she wear this dress I got you. And so she wears a black suit instead because it's, she's, just, oh, she's rebelling against her mother. And she, and she gets mistaken for a waiter, which then she then pretends to pretend to be a waiter to infiltrate uh, following her. Dr. Kane, who is her mom's uh, fiance, although she learns that in the scene. Uh, Dr. Kane is also uh, the swordsman, which is a relevant bit later, uh, although he's not called that here. Uh, but anyway, that leads to, we find this auction, um, and they're basically auctioning um, stuff that should not be sold. It, it, it's, it's, it's a little hard to explain. It starts with, they, they, they auction off a, a uh, skeleton, and the auctioneer says, if anyone asks, you know how you got this, it's for home display only. So it's, it's kind of implied. This is an auction for rich collectors who want things that they should not, they cannot legally get otherwise. Uh, but then some Avenger stuff comes up for sale, and this becomes the big inciting moment for the show. Also showing uh, you that damage control is failing at doing their job, by the way. Right, right. And this leads to kind of another, I don't want to say problem, um, but uh, in the context of the show we just watched, it, it, it's, it's a little dissonant because the last show spent a lot of time talking about how the blip was massive and a problem and a huge thing and how it reshaped society. And then we have this show, and the show acts like nothing really happens. Uh, there's a bit later where how it affected Clint personally is addressed, and that's fine. But the show never adequately explains where this stuff came from. And at no point in time did anyone think, oh, well, the, you know, people were gone for five years, and so this stuff fell in their hands, right? Other explanations are, are mooted about, but never the, oh, by the way, half the population of Superior might be the reason why this stuff hit the black market. Or, well, part of it is, though, that's, at least for Clint's gear they're selling here, that doesn't work. Because 
Clint was Ronan for a while. This is all comes from the movie, which isn't shown in the show. But right. as Ronan, Clint would have had to have gone into the Avengers mansion and changed costumes or put on their clothes. So right. the assumption then would be that all this is from the battle because in Endgame, they blow up the Avengers base. So all the right. Avengers stuff right. is scattered about for people to come and scavenge and take, right. which is having watched all the movies in context is where I assume it came from. But there's nothing okay. in the show that tells us that. But right. like okay. the blip time frame wouldn't work because Clint was running around during the blip as Ronan stabbing and sure. cutting. Sure, it was more the watch that, that that I was I was concerned about because it, it, it's the of course maybe this watch wasn't defended because people were missing for five years. But um, that's a fair point. That's a but again I think it points to a problem with the MCU on some level is that the context we just had doesn't match up. It's a different piece of context that requires to understand this. So. The context clues are not are, are, are asynchronous, right? It's like, no, we're not drawing from this context clue, we're drawing from a different context clue. And the show is not, like you said, doesn't adequately explain that. Um, it just goes, oh, of course you've watched Endgame, so therefore you know exactly what's happening here. But you know um, why, right? Why? It's all connected. <laughs> yeah. Remember when they were telling us that for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Right, yeah, it's all, all right. connected, and then it really wasn't all connected. Sorry, gag. But no, I, um, I think like that's I agree with you. That is a larger piece and a larger issue that they have not mm-hmm. resolved how to properly display that for all the different shows, because right. it's not like they're working together in one big, massive writer's room to create all the different shows. It's like each yeah. each one has their own writer's room and they're not as concerned about consistency and the continuation of the story for every right. single beat. And now, again, um, when it comes to anything that relates to Clint specifically, the show does a really good job of putting on the context. Like we, we see several flashbacks to Ronan throughout all of this. And say, oh, by the way, Clint murdered a bunch of people. Uh, it, it, the stuff that happened in 10 minutes in Endgame is basically this entire show, right? Um, so from that perspective, it does a really good job. But but, but some of the... It, it, it does a good job of covering C, does a good job of covering A, and it kind of skips over B, is what I'm saying here. So it's, it, it's less, again, a, a problem with this show specifically and more a problem with how these shows are made and connected to each other. And but the MacGuffin of the show being the watch, if I remember right, follows a similar beat in the comics that was like a videotape or something that they were also yeah. trying to get that showed some stuff that Clint didn't want to get out. Right. Yeah. So so it's definitely inspired by um, the uh, comic book run in terms of the beats, even if the actual application is very different. Uh, so the the uh, the. Auctions interrupted by the Tracksuit Mafia, um, who are never actually called that explicitly in the comic. That was a joke that Clint made about them, but now is it actually the name of their group, which is weird, but okay. Uh, but the Tracksuit Mafia are a bunch of vaguely Eastern European gangsters. Uh, sometimes they're Russian, sometimes they're Polish. Who knows? You're overthinking, bro. Uh... Duquesne steals Barton's swords. Bishop steals Barton's suit. Um, it's the two halves of uh, a Ronin's murder spree get divided between two of the main characters. Uh, and again, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting beat in the sense of this is the two halves of Clint Barton, really, right? Uh, on the one hand, it's the Clint Barton as hero is embodied by Kate wearing the suit. Clint Barton as murderer is embodied by Duquesne picking up the sword. 
so it's an interesting way to kind of, the, the, even when we're not looking at Quint, the show is ultimately about Quint and the things he's done, which I find what, interesting. Which is interesting now that you phrase it like that, given that the entire tenure of Tenth Clint in that suit was as a hitman killing people right. consistently. There was, if you if you want to consider vigilante justice to be justice, then that could be considered heroic. But the actions taken during that would not be viewed as heroic. So it's interesting to have that broken down into those two aspects that you described them. Right, you're right. And, and that's one of the reasons that makes it interesting is because Kate's cannot imagine Clint being Ronan at first. Because that just because she has this idealized version of him. Whereas Clint very much recognizes that before he was Avenger, he also did horrible things. Um, so she's ultimately trying to subconsciously unknowingly redeem that arc by 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 using that suit to kind of push push her through her superhero career um but you're right there's a legacy and a, a weight there that she's unaware of and in fact gets her in trouble because people who do know the context of that suit start to then go after her is that suit made of un unstable molecules it is made of plutonium because I'm not even talking about the <laughs> plot around it. I'm discussing, it looks like it fits uh, Kate pretty well. It fit Clint very well. Anyone that seems to put on the suit, it seems to fit them pretty well. I, I will right. say there's a little bagginess when Kate puts it on. So is a suit unstable molecules and it sort of fits the person? Yes, yes, it, it is. It is, um, that, it is that level. I mean, although, again, weird point where credit is due, um, it is not immediately form-fitting on her, which is atypical of, of women in superhero costumes. Mm -hmm. uh, that does sadly get dealt with later, but whatever. At least at the moment, it's like she's actually wearing a, a, a suit that's a little too big for her and hides her figure, and I'm like, that's actually extremely rare for women in these kinds of shows. You mentioned this Duquesne fellow. If I didn't yes. know who this was, who is this this Jack Duquesne? He's a Frenchman with a sword. What what relations would a person with no. a sword have to a man with a bow? All right, all right, all right. So really, you really said quick. something about a, a name, a superhero name. Was that it? So, I... so Jack Duquesne is swordsman. Uh, swordsman in the original comic uh, was the guy who trains Barton at the circus to shoot bows and arrows because that's what swordsman does apparently. Um, and in the comic, uh, Jack Duquesne uh, ended up marrying Mantis, who was the celestial Madonna. Uh, he was then murdered by a race of plant aliens, came back to life as a plant alien fairly recently, and started a war between the Kree, against the Kree and the Skrull, forcing them to unify as a Kree-Skrull alliance. It's now being led by Hawkling, who is their emperor. So Jack Duquesne is very different in the MC. Oh, I love it. So what, what superpowers does this person with a sword has? What Does he have trick swords? Uh, so the, 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 this swordsman has the power of carrying a sword and petting bad-tasting women. Those are his two superpowers, which, to be fair, are both consistent in the MCU iteration. Do you, do you not remember his, his sword that would shoot energy bolts? No, because that was actually Black Knight's sword. I don't count that. Oh, no, wait, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, it's, right, there was one yeah. with a button on the hill, so yeah. no, you're right, no, I forgot about that one, yeah, no, you're right, he also separately did have Black Knight's sword for a minute. And just to, to, to go a little bit, a little bit deeper for you, so you, you'd say, you're telling me that the swordsman is Clint's mentor, but if I remember comics just a little bit, 
Wasn't there someone called Trickshot too? I don't remember Trickshot. They kind of did like this soft reboot in the nineties, like a minor minor thing where Trickshot was also a person that taught Clint how to shoot oh, arrows okay. and other things. It's when Hawkeye had his solo series, and it was like half. It was like half. 10 pages of Clint, then 10 pages of someone else. Oh, yeah, no, I don't remember any of that stuff because, yeah. no. Clearly, if you want to become the best at support, uh, the, the bow and arrow, you have to A, run away to circus, and B, be trained by swordsman. That, that's just how life works. Alright. I For people that know who the swordsmen were, we said the swordsman a couple of times. I wanted to make sure but, they no, had sorry, no, some, sorry. some context for them. That, that, no, that was a good point to bring it up. Um, and then there are homages to Jack Kane and swordsman. Also, one thing that I will say is that swordsman was a villain who became a hero much like Hawkeye. Um, and so the show at least does try to emulate that arc. Um, the show, but having suspicion around Duquesne as a villain early on, we, we, we are skipping over the episodes where it is made, it is made clear that is not as clear cut as the show would like us to believe initially. But right at this point in time, we believe Jack Kane is villain. I'm going to say one thing though. The swordsman in this TV show is infinitely better than his comic book, comic book counterpart. Hands oh, yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to that actor. Um, also, uh, in case anyone's worried, because I know I was, um, lucky the dog, uh, his eye, his missing eye was done in TGI. The dog is just fine. Apparently, it was great on set. Everyone loved him. Uh, so, that's what you say. If, as a dog owner, you do not give a dog that much cheese unless you want some horrible mess to clean up. You know this dog owner. Yes. Oh, no. I, I know. Um, you do not feed a dog that much pizza. But also, I completely believe that a rich white girl would have no clue how to take care of that. <laughs> so, I was fine with that. The fight I don't scene. know. Uh, pizza? Sure. Get pizza. <laughs> This initial fight scene with Kate fighting the tracksuit mafia. Mm-hmm. Funny. I enjoyed it. And it it was a nice beat to see how Kate, which I go back to being uber confident, would fight all these people by herself with minimal weapons and trying not to kill anyone. Because mm-hmm. that's not how she views superheroism. Right. It was good to see all that and sort of the progression and going through it and watching how mm-hmm. people would fight her. Yeah. Um, and then Clint... Uh, sees this on TV, uh, sees someone wearing the running suit, and tells his family, I'll be back. And it's basically gone for the next four episodes now. Um, uh, no, he gets inserted into this this conflict. Uh, and, and we know because we know he's running. Uh, one thing the show does that I like is that if you did not watch that movie, why he leaves is a very minor mystery and the show frames it that way. If you know the context or if you don't know the context, it works differently, but it still works well. If you don't know the context, Clint just leaves his family for some reason. That's weird. Um, but he's going to help somebody because he's a hero. We know at least that much. Uh, if you do the context, it's the, oh crap, he's got to get involved in that because that was his suit. Um, so the framing of that to work pretty well. And then, uh, uh, and again, in the episode we skipped, it's made clear to us that he was running and what actually happened during that time. Uh, so, um, and then of course he finds out that, again, neat little touch, he assumes that uh, the person that he's going back for is male, finds out it's a woman, um, and he doesn't, it's not played off as in, how could a girl do all this? More, what the hell are you doing with my suit? So, it's, it's a neat touch. 
Yeah. And I take it almost more of that your kid is what it came down to. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the age, question. not her gender that mattered. Yeah. I do question how he, he found her so easily. Reasons. Um, there was a tracker in the suit because I don't fucking know. Um, They're running out of time and he could insert in the scene is really what happened. <laughs> um, which leads to another of my, my criticisms. You know, I said it wasn't going to be hard, but it turns out I am. Um, the show... I had felt that uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier, you'd said there was a, an episode missing or two episodes missing, and I, I was I was confused as to why because I thought it was well paced. This does feel like there's an episode or two missing um, because things happen pretty fast, and there's not a ton of connective tissue. Like like the the Kate and Clint stuff is relatively well paced. Everything around them happens pretty fast. And there's not a lot of how do we get to here that happens. Now, in the comic book, same thing happens, but there's two things that benefit it. A, it's told from Clint's perspective, so it's a first-person narrative. And B, Clint gets hit in the head a lot. <laughs> so he goes unconscious a lot in that comic. So that's why there are gaps, because Clint really needs to get his concussion trauma dealt with. Uh, but in this show the fast-paced nature is not always adequately addressed. Well, I think part of that structurally comes from they tried to put a time limit on the show for how long they had to pull this off because Clint needs to get home for Christmas. Right. So in one, some ways, that sort of hampered the show itself to be able to do what it needed to do to have room to breathe. Yeah. But at the same time, it gives its stakes. Because while Kate is inconvenienced by this incident, if there isn't a time limit for it, there is no real stakes in the show. Because yeah. given time, Clint and Kate could have, if they had weeks, easily dealt with us. Hands down. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Uh, anything else about this first episode? As we are an hour in. <laughs> let's, let's break down the musical and, and how it had Ant-Man in it. Discuss that. No, I episode could. Episode three, Echoes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Lopez interrogates Barton and Bishop about Ronan, who killed his father years prior. Barton manages to free himself and fend off the tracksuit mafia, though Lopez breaks his hearing aid in the process. After Bishop is freed, the pair escape using Barton's trick arrows and get his hearing aid fixed. While moving to the location, Lopez's lieutenant, Kazi, advises her not to get into trouble with her uncle. Intending to learn more about the tracksuit mafia as well as Duquesne, Bishop convinces Barton to infiltrate Eleanor's penthouse and use her company account to access Bishop's securities criminal database. However, Bishop is locked out of the system while attempting to bypass security, while Barton encounters Duquesne, who threatens him with Ronan's sword. And, okay, um, there's a big bit here I want to talk about, but lead up to it real quick. Um, so we have what part I glossed over, um, which is Lopez's history of jail. Um, uh, and uh, it's not spelled out here, uh, but it is implied. Uh, that she is um, a first world or a first nation uh, nationality, so uh, she you know grew up. I believe her MC version is like her conversion that she grew up on a reservation. Uh, I don't know if I'm certain or not. Um, uh, but her she she grew up deaf, and she learned sign language. And there's a a, a moment in here that is interesting in the sense that. 
she's in a non-deaf school, and there's a lot of her struggles uh, uh, working, being in an able school. And that hit me hard the first time I watched the episode because I, I've certainly had had problems with how they show bits and words of, of in, in the subtitles is pretty accurate to my experience in sometimes trying to understand what people are saying around me. Um, the, the, the zooming in on people's lips um, when they're talking is very much what you do when you have hearing loss. You try to read their lips even if you don't have a lot of skill in it. And reading lips is not at all like most TV shows show you. Um, where it's like, you know, that person's 100 feet away and I have binoculars and he's turned to the side back and read his lips and absolutely everything he's saying, that is not how it really works. You get maybe 40, 50% of the words if you're good. <laughs> um, and when you're a kid, you're not good at it. Um, and also they did great things like every time the teacher turned back to the, the chalkboard and the subtitle dropped out. You can't see your mouth anymore. No idea what she's saying. Um, the subtitles drop out whenever uh, Lopez looks down at her desk because she's not looking at who's talking anymore. Uh, so there's lots of that cinematography that I really appreciate. Um, then we get to the actual interrogation scene. And first of all, I loved the, it, it was cute and I loved it. Uh, the mobster talking about Imagine Dragons and his girlfriend problems with Kate. <laughs> and just the great line of her going, I don't see Imagine Dragons. Like, I love Imagine Dragons. And I'm like, yes, that was such a great kind of <laughs> undercutting. I'm like, I can like this stuff too, um, even though I'm a criminal. Uh, but it's, it's, it also frames, frankly, what the tracksuit mafia is, which is that they're not great villains. They are the mindless, kind of doofy goons of the actual people who are threatening the ship. That, that's the role they've always played. They say bro a lot, not nearly as much as I would like in the show as they do in the comic. Although they do have higher bro fans that they use, which is a fantastic <laughs> nod to the comic. Um, but like they're, they're not going to be taken seriously. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that moment exists. It also shows Kate trying to understand this situation through her context of her life and it going weirdly farther than it should before the reality situation gets smacked down on her. So she's like, I can just talk my way out of this. And then it's absolutely not what's going to happen after that. Um, so it's a, it's a nice moment. Well, it also goes back and touches on the privilege that you were discussing earlier and her mm -hmm. concept of how the world works and showing that in reality, if you're taken away from that safety net, it's a hard and very cruel world that's out there. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that was all yep. encapsulated in a very humorous moment. Good writing. Right. It, it, again, it's, it's the show's making an attempt to say her, for the first time, we're going to have a rich Marvel character who their wealth is not actually going to help them. Um, and in fact, it hinders her in a couple of places. So it's like, again, I appreciate the effort. I don't think it went far enough, but this is one of the scenes where it's like, you're not in the right world. You're, you're, you're a template Marvel character, but you're in the wrong piece of the Marvel universe. So I'm going to say that I like the fact that it didn't choose to ha tell that full story with Kate. Because right, right, right. there are so many other characters that they've had like a history of displaying that have not had to deal with that. So part of it goes back to my entire thing with Sam and them trying to tell a very specific marginalized story of struggle. Kate, mm -hmm. while 
is on a different journey. And some people would consider like her gender to be like a, a hindrance for her. And they're not trying to tell that story. And I like right. that they're focusing on the wealth aspect of it more so than the other one. And, right. but to fully make it grainy and gritty like that would then take away from the Kate that we know. Right. So it's a very delicate balance. Uh, so then we get to the conversation, and this is, this is a lot to unpack. I'll try to be succinct because I know we're running long in time, but just a lot to unpack in this conversation. Uh, ultimately, the best way to, I, can, I can, can talk about this is the fact that deaf culture, capital D, deaf culture is a thing. Uh, deaf culture has its own language has its own has some culture they have their own uh, art they have their own uh, uh, literature they are a culture people with hearing loss do not have the same culture they are firmly in their disability what we see in this conflict aside from the actual superheroes of eternity and whatnot there's just a great conversation happens here of people who lose their hearing later in life versus people who are born capital d deaf um, and, and I mentioned earlier, there's a thing where she's like, she, when, when, when uh, Lopez was in school and she says, do I have to stop signing? Uh, uh, that erasure of language is a very real fear that some deaf people have, uh, feel like because they communicate with sign language that it is equivalent to like a people in Ireland being told they can only speak Irish, uh, or, or, uh, Jewish people being told they can only speak in their own language. Um, the, the idea that this is their cultural language and, and, and it tends to be erased. Uh, that does lead some deaf people to look at people with hearing loss as deaf people who have failed. Uh, I, I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush here. Um, and I know this is now deaf people, very complicated situation, blah, 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 blah. But I grew up. I was put into a deaf class when my hearing, because I've been hearing loss my whole life. I was put into a deaf class when I was in high school because the logic was that I'm probably going to keep losing my hearing, so I should learn how to do sign language now. So I was put in a class with kids who were born deaf. I was bullied because I was not born deaf. Uh, I dated a girl who was deaf, and then she broke up with me when she found out that I had got hearing loss later in life. And later in life, I'm saying like eight, right? Um, so to find this conflict between deaf people and people with hearing loss on screen hit me a lot harder than I thought it would at the time. It, it, I sat with that for like three days after I first watched this episode. It, it was a lot for me to kind of encapsulate because that is something that is not often discussed. Um, and again, I mean, I, while I'm not deaf, I certainly uh, have pointed people towards deaf resources. I, I do everything I can to kind of have people think about deaf culture as my, my understanding of culture as well as people with hearing loss. It's something that I strongly advocate and definitely try to get people to think more about because I think it's very important. And I love when people share successes from deaf people with me. I don't have anything against deaf people, but it shows that that disability is not a monolith. There's like every other identity. Um, and we throughout all of this talk a lot about um, the, how people of culture are not a monolith and how they can have different experiences, particularly in Black Lightning. Talk a lot about that, how blackness is not a monolith. This is another example of that in a way that is never talked about. 
And so when she said, um, you were too reliant on technology, you were too reliant on your hearing aid, I felt that because I was told almost those exact words when I was a kid. And I stopped using my hearing aid for decades, partially because of that. I've only later in life come back to using hearing aids because I needed them. Um, but I was made to feel like I was lesser for needing them. And that's shitty. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a shitty thing to do to make people feel bad for using assisted devices. A lot of things are changing, but uh, this is why when people see, oh, this baby is born deaf and they're given a cochlear implant and isn't that heartwarming, why sometimes there'll be a lot of outrage online against that? Because a lot of deaf people see that as erasing them as a culture. Because no, they're deaf. It's not not a problem to be fixed. That is who they are. Combined with the fact that people with a very similar set of challenges very much would love to have able to hearing and don't see that as their culture. There is going to be tension there. And so see two characters on the screen engaging with tension, even if it's only for a couple of minutes, is huge. And then later on that scene, when she steps on his hearing aid, I had to get up and leave the room the first time I saw that. Because that was a gut punch to me. That hurt. Because I have nightmares about my hearing aid being broken. I have, at one point in time, I was in a very minor accident. Um, my hearing aid flew off my head, and I spent a panic 20 minutes going, oh my god, where's my hearing aid? It's destroyed. Do I have to call up $5,000 to get a new one? Only to find out it was in the hood of my hoodie, and it was fine. But, um, this stupid fucking superhero show directly addressed some stuff that I grew up with, and I was just, and that was the second time in my life that I was just like, holy shit, someone sees me. Because no one is talking about this. I have never even told another human being about this because I thought no one knew what it was like. And I was like, I, maybe it's just me. No, other people are dealing with this. And again, Lopez is not presented as evil here. Because, I mean, to step back from the first thing, she has a very valid point. Barton murdered her family. <laughs> right? And yes, there were criminals, but he straight up murdered them. So it's a great moment also because aside from the disability conversation, she has reasons to be pissed at him. It's just that I saw an additional layer of this conversation. It's like, oh, and there's also this, this cultural thing that's on top of it. And it's all interconnected and intertwined. It's not easy to pull apart. Is she doing this because she's mad at him because she murdered his family? Is she doing this purely from a, lack of a term, deaf supremacy standpoint? The answer is probably neither of these. It's, it's a huge combination of emotions. Um, and her continued track towards vengeance against uh, Veronin and ultimately Clint is very complicated and messy. So it's really compelling. She's the villain, quote-unquote, of this, this, this show. But the fact that she's presented as a very complex, textured character. And again, as a deaf person, I said earlier, Episode one, I was like, wow, it's great to see someone like me as a hero. And then immediately, two episodes later, I was like, now I see someone like me who's also the quote unquote villain. I see two people, like, although they're very different experiences, I still see bits of me in both of them. And I was, I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared for that level. Um, so when I say things like, this show means a ton to me, yeah, it has problems. We just talked about a lot of the problems. 
Um, but I overlook so much of that because of, frankly, this scene. And to on top of it be funny, uh, to have a moment where like Clint escapes and Kate's like, how'd you do that? Where are you going? Please, please let me go. <laughs> let me help you. Um, or, and they have a well-choreographed fight scene in, 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 a, in a, a, this warehouse scene with, with weird playground stuff. It, it's just a really cool scene on top of it. But that conversation just has stuck with me ever since I first saw it. Um, and when we were doing this thing, I was like, I basically, okay, which episode was it? And that, is, that was the first one I picked, and then we had two others, I guess. But I could talk about just this episode all day. Whew. Um, Thank you for sharing. No problem. I do want to jump ahead briefly. Uh, uh, if I could go to a Chinese doctor and get my hearing aid fixed in 20 minutes, I would do that every day. Because <laughs> 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 she's like, can you fix this? Like, no, you're getting a new hearing aid. That's what happens there. You're not getting that fixed. Um, uh, that was a funny moment. Uh, but anyway, um, go ahead to the Arrow scene. This is a restaging of from a comic book. And... It's explicit because the Challenger is the car that Kate and Clint drive in the comic book, and so they essentially have the Challenger there and go, no, no, we're going this other car. <laughs> was neat because it shows that this Clint is different from the comic book Clint. Right? It's like, no, he's a family man. He's thinking sensibly. Let's get the less flashy car. Maybe we can escape unseen. It doesn't work. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I am going to, to, to push back Jay Lincoln's that one. It is not that he's a family man. It is because he didn't want the car to be damaged, and it shows that he thinks it is a super cool car. Okay, fair. So that is a thing. And they even come fair. back and they like punctuate the joke later when it gets destroyed. It gets like, anyway, the car yeah. still gets destroyed. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a great scene. Um, again, the context is up a little better because the setup for the, in the comic was that um, – he was trying to label the arrows, and Kate's like, we're finally going to label these. We have to get some tape, and, and, and they try to buy some tape, and this, this scene happens while they're out to buy tape. Um, and so she th- shoots arrows because she has no clue what any of them do. Uh, but we still get a recap of that. Uh, ending with the USB arrow. And I love this jet, this gag for two, for two reasons. One, because it shows that uh, Clint Barton had some really dumb arrows in the comic book run, and that's one of them. And two, in Arrow, season one, he used a USB arrow. <laughs> and so I'm like, I, I feel like some level that he's, he's been poking a little fun at the Arrow TV show. I, I can see that. But at the same time, if we think, for me, if I think back about Kate and Clint, one of their best abilities is to bluff like hands down and sure, this sure. shows that again so they've like used all these super cool arrows and now they've got was like you don't want me to use this and everyone stops like that feeds into the strength of their characters which is right. pulling like schemes for hawkeyes literally yeah. hawkeye is a schemer that's like the big big crux of it and it gets to show all of that and they didn't have anything else in their arsenal and to see that displayed on screen after saying like shrinking arrows and like putty arrows and oh a putty arrow for so yes, long have yes. I wanted to see that used in live action and there it was for me yes and and I even love the fact that like Kate calls out it's like I hope there's a dongle arrow that goes with the, the USB arrow house would you use this thing and it's right a USB arrow myself <laughs> is completely useless 
on so many levels. But then it's, it's great. It's a great line of like, you want to see what this does? Because I sure don't. And the <laughs> entire scene. off somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And the entire scene ends with Kate getting to live the experience of seeing that thing that made her a Clint fan. Yeah. Them jumping off the side of a building, grabbing on the bow and swinging over. Like, right. That was her and, entire encapsulation. And so that gets to show her the journey of her hero that she loves. And funnily enough, like this is where it starts. The show starts to turn and she gets, she understands more of the darker aspects of Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, like, Oh, and this is such a thin line. Clint's hearing gets broken during this whole scene. And so the miscommunication of him not hearing her is an ongoing joke in this scene. But it is not a joke at Clint's expense. And that is so hard because often it's the what I call the Mr. Magoo problem, which is that they hear something and it's like, oh, it's so funny that he heard that wrong. He thinks it's a stupid thing that someone said as opposed to what they actually said. And that's a demeaning uh, characterization of hearing loss. It's like, hey, now you're making fun of me. Clint is not made fun of. Clint gets just as much over it, but the miscommunication is so funny. Like, for example, um, when Clint's like, I'm going to drive, and then Kate starts arguing with him. He's like, I can't hear you, so I'm assuming you're on board with this, and just starts doing it, right? <laughs> it's like, that's also very Clint. It's like, even if you could hear her, he probably still would not have listened to her and probably still would have done the thing anyway. So it's not a joke at his expense. He's using his hearing loss as a way to kind of just get to the next step of what he wanted to do. Um, uh, uh, and also them occasionally saying the same thing, which is great because if he had his hearing, that would just be, oh, they're, they're, they're agreeing. But in this case, it's no, he can't hear her, and they're still coming to the same conclusion. Shows that they're actually in sync, even though he keeps saying, she's not my partner, we're not working together. It's clear that there's some kind of actual teamwork chemistry there. So it's a great moment to use his hearing loss as a character beat in a way that so fucking few shows do. And it also adds to show his level of professionalism, because mm-hmm. if you have the movie context, you know that he is used to working with a partner. And that seems to be one of his strengths is he can usually find a way to work very well with people that he's either worked a long time with or just met. Even in the Age of Ultron, where Scarlet Witch does her turn, you have Clint and her working together. And he's basically not saying orders, but like, hey, this is what we should do. And then they do it together. It's very much right. a team beat. Yeah, um, and there's one thing that I, I love about MCU Clint is that he's very much the glue and the overlooked glue of the Avengers. And this show kind of helps to really sell, no, really, he's vital to the Avengers because of who he is, not what he does. And um, I think it's also telling by the, the phone call conversation, which we glossed over. Uh, which is that um, his kid's call while his hearing aid's broken. And perfect Clint, rather than saying, hey, honey, I'm sorry, uh, my hearing aid's broken, I can't hear you, he tries to bluff through the phone call. And Kate, being a bro, tries to write down and quickly tell him what's being said so he can bluff his way through a call with his kids. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, and basically, it's like, when are you going to be home? We're sad, I'm bored. Basically, his, his son's calling. Uh, and Clint still tries to reassure his son and says, I'll be home at the end of the day. I will be home. I, I know how important this to you. It's important to me. And he's trying his hardest to make sure his son's okay, even though he can't hear him. 
And that says volumes about who Clint Barton is as a person. Is that he does whatever it takes to quietly make sure everyone is okay. Um, and he will do anything beyond the bounds of reasons or legality to make sure that the people he cares for are taken care of. And so that's why reasons why I love the show, because the movies didn't do any of that. But this is the good example of the MCU where you watch a show and then go back to the movies and you can see all that all on the screen now. Now that you have that context, you go back and watch them. Oh, yeah, he was always there in the background, like you said, you know, directing things or offering good plans. Um, one of the times the Avengers were at their worst was when Clint Barton was being taken over by Loki. And the, and the Avengers could not get their shit together for a while for that, that movie, right? Um, so th th it does a good job of adding context back. Again, uh, I think Captain America and Winter Soldier does that by going back. It's okay, now I have a better sense of who Steve was through the context of these people who really cared about him. So when these shows really hit well, they actually go backwards and make them, the stuff they're derived from better. And I think this is an example of doing that. It really helps to redeem Clint Barton as a character in the MCU. Having said all that, I don't think we gave a good idea, and I'm not sure if you know a lot about her, but do you know who the 616 version of Maya is? Uh, she is known as Echo. Um, she's a relatively new character. She's primarily a uh, Daredevil antagonist. Because, um, like in most Daredevil comics, villain is, is extremely loose. Um, uh, but she's actually pretty close to her MCU version. Um, she is a uh, uh, First Nation uh, uh, heritage. Um, she is deaf. Uh, and that's about all I know about her. Um, uh, her origin is different. Because, uh, like, for example, Kazi is very different in the comic. Kazi is a clown assassin, not her translator. Um, so, uh, that piece is all different. Um, but I believe, yeah, I believe, I believe her family was murdered by someone, not, uh, Ronan, um, and that led her towards a path of vengeance, and then Daredevil found her, and then Daredevil made bad decisions, because he always makes bad decisions, and then Echo got her own miniseries briefly, and that's all I know. So I don't know much and about Echo. The little bit that I know is that she joined the, I want to say that under Bendis' run of the New Avengers, she joined the Avengers as Ronin. No one oh. knew that she was Ronin for a while. Oh, okay. And this is that almost Ronin during... wasn't that right? I read that one recently and they never explained who Ronin was. Okay, now I know. Okay, that's the And thing. this is almost, I want to say, like around the secret invasion timeline is where all this happens. And yeah. she was a, a highly skilled um, martial artist. Right, but right. I think now she is the phoenix in current comics, if I remember correctly. What? Yeah, you got it. I haven't comics. had a chance to, to catch up on all my X-Men comics, but I think when I want to say Maya is now like the bottom of the Phoenix Force. Uh, comics. Uh, right, so um, the last bit, I'm actually going to skim over because we, we actually don't get the payoff this season until the next episode, um, but they basically, Kate's like, I'm going to go break into mom's apartment because my mom's charged a security company. Again, Lost over that briefly. Um, but we're going to use that to find information about Duquesne. She breaks in, she gets locked out. Duquesne's there with the sword, puts the sword in his throat. Yeah, cliffhanger. Cool beans. Anything else about this episode? I'm good. All right. Episode four Partners, am I right? Uh, sorry. Partners, am I right? You said that correctly. <clears throat> uh, Barton diffuses the situation after Eleanor and Duquesne recognize him as an Avenger. Eleanor asks him to keep Bishop out of his investigation and later contacts an unknown person to inform them of the situation. With the help of his wife, Laura, Barton secretly recovers his sword and discovers that Duquesne is the CEO of Sloan Limited, 
a shell corporation that launders money for the traps of mafia, while Bishop deduces that Barton is Ronan. Barton locates Kazi and asks him to talk Lopez out of her vendetta against Ronan, while Bishop enlists a group of LARPers in retrieving Barton's trigueros. Afterwards, Laura informs Barton that the watch the trap of mafia stole was sending out tracking signals from an apartment building. Barton and Bishop could retrieve it, but find it in Lopez's apartment, where she also keeps notes on Barton and his family. Lopez attacks Bishop, while Barton is ambushed by a masked assassin. A fight ensues before the four between the four combatants, with Bishop injuring Lopez, forcing her to retreat, while Barton unmasks assailant Delana Balova, who also escapes. Barton decides he cannot keep putting Bishop in danger and breaks off the partnership. Um, again, we skipped over this in episode two, but it does show could not be any more targeted at me. It then decides, oh, by the way, we're going to have a lark subplot. And I'm like, fuck, I know most of those people, I swear. Because, like, I, like I, I know those players, that kind of player. I, I, I know the playing in the park. I, I like, oh, Jesus. I, I, I have done my time as a medieval LARPer. And I was like, yeah, it's, that's a little too accurate. Like, making your own costumes. And uh, it, was too, it was too real. Would you be surprised to hear that I I have no, I was a uh, SEA adjacent person? Uh, oh really? I had some swords. I do a little bit of the fighting. I didn't make my own costumes, but it's a, a skill set that I also possess. I didn't. I never made it to SCA. Mine was more uh, with dagger hair. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm a more of a fantasy buffer foam oh, okay. uh, than the, the, the SCA. Um, and, and certainly the the LARP presented here seems to be kind of in the middle of those two extremes. Um, it seems like they had realistic uh, uh, weaponry, but they did also have magical capacity. So, so I, I had some friends that were heavily into it, and so I I, I was tangentially associated with it. So I I, I know some stuff, but you don't at all seem surprised by this. No, I'm I'm not actually. Uh, uh, the only thing that made this better is if they also said, "Oh yeah, that nights we play a vampire war," but I'm like, "We're done, we're done." This shows me. Um, uh, but, um, so the, uh, sorry, I'm by the table. Um, th- th- this is kind of the second half of the first scene, the first scene, um, where Duquesne's like, oh, wait, you're an Avenger and you're Archer. Um, and so we get the people recognize him as the Avenger, but they don't recognize him as him, which is another layer of the, the fame stuff we talked about earlier. I won't go back over that again, but basically it, it was an interesting kind of context of, Again, what I call Aquaman fame, where it's like, oh yeah, you're that guy in the Justice League. But they don't actually remember his name. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting place for Clint to be. Um, and again, he's equal, he's also is, is yet another way he's dealing with his celebrity. His celebrity ultimately gets him out of this awkward situation. But also his celebrity is why Eleanor tells him you're a danger to my daughter and you need to stop. And he kind of goes, we'll see. Effectively. It's like, I'm not going to say I'll, I'll protect your daughter, but also I'm not dropping this case. So figure that <laughs> out. Well, I think that's one layer of it. The other is when the reveal that you'll get about Eleanor, if you finish mm-hmm. the series. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, Eleanor, Spoiler for the other two episodes, um, Eleanor is actually the person doing all of the shit. Yeah. Um, Which, if you can't, if you weren't able to discern that from the first scene, what would we get with Kate and her parents fighting? Well, I mean... 
come on. Not the, not the going to stuff we didn't cover, but but very briefly, that's one of the things I like about the show is that you're right. Um, a woman was terrified for her family, and so she put absolutely everything into a security corporation and went way too far with it. It's like I, that's a there there are no well separate attraction mafia. There are very few uh, uh, unnuanced characters in this show. Uh, Jack Duquesne, amazingly, actually is also not one of them. He's just a doofus who who likes swords. That's the big deal. And Jack Duquesne, he's he's a pure pawn for this woman who desperately would do anything to protect what she feels is her, hers. Which is why I love Jack Duquesne so much. Yes, because he's just a French dork who can't figure out how euphemism to work. But the subtle play between Eleanor and Clint and Kate during that scene is is beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, like, it's Kate, like, you know, I, I'm keeping together. I didn't, like, you know, fangirl on him. And he, and, you know, she clearly did. Uh, and then, like, Clint just, like, very calmly, like, we're not partners. We're not friends. We're not working together. <laughs> you know I mean? It's it's funny, but also that's Clint, right? It's just the I just want to get out of this conversation because I need to go. Um, uh, and then even when Eleanor's confronting him, he doesn't change much. He is he's polite. He's a little um, a little bit humor in his thing, and he's sincere. But he's also not given much away. Uh, he answers exactly as much as he needs to in that entire conversation. Clint is very he's a very private person. He's very buttoned down. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see how he started to open up to Kate in the last episode, like a lot of their banter in that car scene, you know, he's only doing one side of it. Um, again, there was one bit we, we glossed over quickly in the last episode, but, um, uh, she texts him when they're waiting for his hearing aid. It's like, good thing you're Hawkeye, not Hawkier. And he goes, ha ha ha, bleed, <laughs> block, bleed. Um, those kinds of jokes are okay with people that you care about. They're not okay from, from random people. The fact that he handled it that way said, said a lot about where the relationship was. They were friends. So now we're in this situation, and he's being very professional. Um, shows that he suspects something's up. And we saw in their episode, he's like, you're in season about decaying. Here's all the stuff I found. Turns out it was planted there by, by Eleanor. But he knew something was wrong in that room. And so he went to a very professional level. It's like, I'm going to give as little information as possible. I'm not going to be disruptive. I'm going to be charming until I can get out. And it was just a great moment where, where Kate is flailing, obviously flailing. And it just shows that she, it, it, it continually, re- again, the only show does that she reinforces Clint's experience. Um, and again, retroactively shows that he was probably the most experienced aside from uh, uh, Black Widow, most experienced Avenger on there. I mean, yes, Steve was had a lot of war experience, but also he was out of commission for a very long period of time. Um, so he's right up there, but... Are you saying fly by the seat of my uh, powered armor, Tony Stark, wasn't wasn't experienced? Tony that Stark I am still the, the greatest Musk villain? Of, sorry, Tony Stark is the Elon Musk of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> But no, and it Um, was a a nice beat that when Clint left, he calls Laura, and that gives you more insight into their relationship and possibly a larger context for who Laura might be. Right, and that's one of the right. That's a good point. What this show does is uh, Laura was just someone who showed up, like literally, she comes off screen and goes, 
I'm Clint's wife now. And and, and, the, and the thing is, like, it's a joke. He's like, you never asked my personal life, right? But she switches to German to ask about the watch. And two things happen very quickly um, where it's like, okay, Clint rolls with it. So it's the, the same thing he'd done before. The fact she switches to a different language to casually talk about the watch means she knows what the watch is about and has some kind of experience that's beyond just being a mother. And then while it's happening, the kids are going, oh, she's talking to dad. So <laughs> kids are like, uh, it's mom being secretive again. And just kind of <laughs> yeah. eye-rolling about the fact that her mom switched languages to casually. And it's like, we don't know what she's saying, but we know she's hiding something. because She's like, why don't you want to switch to dad? It's weird. And it's just a funny moment, but also it's like, something is up with Mara. And again, minor spoilers, but she's also on a former shield agent with Clint, which makes a lot of sense. But it's, it's, you're right, it's a great subtle moment of this episode is lots of the all the stuff you thought you knew now starts getting moved around the board, which is great. It's, it's the midway point of the show, so it makes sense. This is the time this people, this stuff starts happening. Mm-hmm. But I was not expecting Laura to actually have a small but interesting role in this show. Ever Glad since she that. showed up, I, I've I've been thinking that she has to be Mockingbird. I'm waiting yeah. for them to call her Mockingbird. Like, <laughs> right, it's not quite there yet. Um, uh, Mexican means like so. We got some Kazi. Um, oh, uh, Barton confronts Kazi to try to get him to talk uh, Lopez out of her vendetta. And again, it's a great little moment of um, he's in the car. Kazi gets in, and he's like, "I got your gun." And Clint's like, um, don't go for the thing. I already got that. And the the, the blade under your seat. I, I'm just on top of all of this. And then Kazi, after they're done, Kazi's like, uh, can I have a gun back? He's like, what do you think? <laughs> and then the, the, the shot is done through the windshield. So we see Kazi in the front seat, Clint in the back seat. We see him leave. The shot doesn't move, but he walks back behind the windshield and then throws the gun away. And Kazi goes, oh, man. So the camera doesn't move. But we see everything we need to see, and it's just a great moment of just Clint's quietly just taking care of things. I take care of all the weapons, and I'm going to throw your gun away and leave. And it, we don't, it's not a showy moment. It's just Clint just doing his job. And I love it. Uh, we have a heartwarming scene of them doing a uh, Christmas, Kate and Clint doing Christmas celebration slash heist preparation. Um, and the plutonium coin trick. Yes, yes. Um, which shows that Clint's aiming skills extends beyond bow and arrows. He just prefers bow and arrows. Um, Very bullseye and of, of him. Right, right. Uh, and he shows Kate how to do the trick, and she does pick it up eventually, um, which shows that she will eventually be on Clint's level. Uh, and is very close to that. Um, and again, in the comics, she eventually becomes Hawkeye. Uh, so, one of the things that Marvel has been always bad at is, is passing the mantle. But again, we have a thread of shows that are happening here of characters passing on the mantle. Uh, in Captain America and Winter Soldier, the mantle's already been passed on. It's just Sam having to, to redo the plot beat of accepting it for reasons. Um, whereas in this case, it's the Clint's going to be out of the game soon. And so someone needs to step up. And him him coming to terms with accepting that he's out of the game, because this whole thing happens because he didn't accept that he's out of the game. Uh, But also accepting that 
this woman, this young woman, is the person who will eventually maybe take my role. Uh, then we have fight scene, and again, um, as soon as Kate broke into Lopez's apartment, even though we don't know the time of Lopez's apartment, she breaks into the apartment. She, I love the fact that she just bluffs her way in. I'm like, <laughs> go, go to the top of the building, rappelling her way down. And she's like, or I could just do this. Um, and it's a brilliant moment where she's really good, and then she goes too far. She's like, I'm talking to an Avenger. The guy's like, cool, I'm gonna take my bags back now, and I see you. And he's clearly like, Lord, this woman's crazy <laughs> away from her. And she's like, I don't understand. So I mean, it's a great moment of showing both that Kate is amazing at her job and still hasn't figured everything out yet. And it's a display of privilege. Yeah, it is. It's because there's no way that a black woman will be able to do that exact same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, it shows, again, it's, it's one of the reasons why it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to go down the another rich white person's road because she, she was using, leveraging her privilege as a tool. Um, whether she's doing that instinctively or because that's all she grew up with and doesn't know there's any other options is unclear and perhaps rightfully so. But it's interesting that it's the, her privilege is explicitly being checked or not being checked, it's being acknowledged and being utilized. Whereas in previous characters that we've seen, it's just been kind of a background radiation of like, of course this person can succeed because they're white and rich. But you know, let's break this down a little bit at least. Um, uh, but then she gets to the apartments and, uh, as soon as lights flashed, I was like, oh, that's because Lopez lives here. I, I saw that ahead of time because I've been, again, uh, I dated a, a deaf girl. And so like their doorbells are the same way, the flashing lights. Um, if you, uh, been visited someone like who has an apartment, sometimes some apartment buildings or, or blocks of flats will have special, uh, buildings with hearing loss and will either have extremely loud uh, doorbells or they'll have flashlights or both. Um, so that way it's, it's easier, but they just have to be specially installed. Uh, so usually they'll have separate apartments set aside for people like that, specifically for those situations. Um, so I, I recognize that immediately. Oh, I, I see that's what's happening there. Um, uh, but it was just kind of neat. Like, like there was, you know, uh, uh, there is a television, but it is a much less prominent part of the room than in other apartments because you probably don't want TV as much. Thing like that little touches that I really really appreciated uh, and then we get to the fight scene um, and then we get to the, the plot twist that was ruined because of how movies got released um, because it was like it's Joanna Belova but I just had no clue who she was because the Black Widow movie that was supposed to feature her <laughs> got pushed back until after the show came out <laughs> so you know I'm going to ask who's Yelena Belova She's black bow too. That's all I know. She wears white as opposed to black. That's that's I, all I know. She's, she's part of the same program. I, I don't know much about her beyond the, I saw the Black Widow movie. The the um, tidbit I know is that she was a rival Black Widow. I think she actually wanted to kill Natasha, if memory serves. This is like sketchy, like 30% possibly. And she was never, the relationship was not sisterly. It was more adversarial. And eventually, I think it became friendly. And that is a, a question mark. I think the White Widow costume is a, a new thing. Okay. Maybe. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, we're now doing these areas. And to be fair, there's lots of 
stuff going forward, like we're getting into areas of Marvel I'm not as familiar with. Um, uh, but again, it, it's it's we we touched on this a little bit with um, um, the first two shows, but we're still not out of Disney Plus synchronizing their release schedules. Uh, COVID is a lot of this. Uh, mm-hmm. combined with a, a awkward rollout for Disney Plus. Um, but this is another much more minor problem. Uh, because this this should have been the I just saw the Black Widow movie, which was set time wise before all this, that we see her here. Well, luckily it gets salvaged because Clint's also like, who the hell was that? So what should have been the audience going, I know what's going on, but the character doesn't know what's going on, with everybody knowing what's going on. <laughs> Um, but it was definitely frames like you should know who this character is, and we just didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it kind of eh, felt a little odd. Um, but again, the, the, Kate is so good as a character because she gets her ass kicked. She puts up a really good fight, all things considered. But she does ultimately get defeated by three far superior opponents. She's thrown off the building, but she's actually on the line. Clint cuts her loose. She falls down. Clint's like, go away. And she just exasperatedly walks back to the building door and starts making her way back up all the stairs <laughs> to re-enter this fight. And, she, and again, she's not like mad. She's just like, Jesus Christ, I have to go through this again. Um, because she's like, at no point does it enter her head that I'm not part of this. Right? And again, it's the it's a combination of, of a little bit of her privilege. Frankly, it's like, you know, of course I'm part of this because why wouldn't I be? But also, it is very much Kate as a person. She is the ideologue. Of all of the very muddy morality characters in this show, she's the one that, like, I believe heroes act a certain way, and this is what a hero would do. And she helps to weirdly ground this series because the series could have been a very noir. Um, everyone's got problems and layers and, and nobody's really good, no one's really evil show. But we have this one point of like this is a really strong thing. And then weirdly it's Jack Duquesne is the other piece of it. The whole show is going Jack Duquesne's villain, like, no, he's just this dork. That just really likes swords. And doesn't understand what's going on. And so you think, oh, it's a plan. No, he just really doesn't get what's going on. <laughs> um, and so you have this thing of, like, you keep wanting to like Jack the Camp to show, no, he's probably bad. And then it's like, no, actually, I really did like Jack all this whole time. Um, and even Kate, like, likes him in spite of herself in, in this episode where they're flirting and she's, like, trying to be mad about it, but she keeps smiling because she sees how happy they are together. Um, it's, 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 it's a really well-paced show that, again, we skip over the ending because the ending kind of ruins everything. Much like WandaVision, it has to end the big superhero fight, and it, I think it ultimately drags the rest of the show down, because this is not a show about a big superhero fight. This is a show about a, an older superhero that just is living with the costs of decisions he made, just wants to get back to his family. And the younger superhero trying to come to terms with the reality of what her decisions are and ultimately accepting them. Uh, the fact there's a fight at the end is just, just feels tacked on. Um, but we have now kind of segued into the, the show as a whole. But do you have any thoughts about this episode? 
that the since we've already spoiled about uh, Eleanor, the fact that Eleanor sort of shanks Hawkeye with a Natasha comment and then to yeah. end on the Black Widow, if you had known that she was a villain before, I think this is another th- the show going, she could be the secret villain, is right. is a nice little sort of touch. But at the same time, it then makes you wonder, how do all the people know that Clint, he's not technically responsible for Natasha's death, if you watch the movie. Right. How do they all know that he was there? That seems to be common knowledge. And they were in like a secret spirit realm, equivalently, right. when all that happened. So how does every single person now like that is my my biggest issue with the entire show right and, and again i feel it's a case where um we talked about let's call it sloppiness um marvels is not consistent how they connect things together i can see that you know, at some point in time someone's gonna ask hey where's black widow and clint's gonna say what happened and that's gonna get out right so i feel like there's a piece there but you're also right in the sense of is that a clue that this woman knows more than she should and is a clue to her ultimate reveal that she's a villain? Or is it just kind of sloppy, sloppy structural? And it's, it's a little unclear. If a show, even with a small theme of like, you know, she's like, I've been secretly researching the Avengers along, like, along with all the Avengers stuff up in the black market, I also got some information about what happened to Black Widow and it slipped out. That would have solved a lot of problems. It wasn't there. Um, again, also reinforcing, I feel like there's maybe an episode worth of material that's steadily cut up one of those other episodes. Um, uh, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I can look at all that stuff and I can look at that and go, yeah, all that put together, it's maybe a, a, a B in terms of Marvel shows. It has a lot of problems. Uh, it doesn't do a lot of things well, uh, but I can't because... I want to end on this um, because uh, in in this episode, there's a scene where Kate's talking to him, and they're at a restaurant, and she's talking and talking and talking. He's eating and nodding, and then uh, about two minutes in, he puts his hearing aid in, and she goes, "Was your hearing up the whole time?" And he just ignores her and orders some food. And my whole family looked at me after that scene, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> because they know that at some point in time in restaurants, I had my hearing aid off and I was pretending like I was paying attention to the conversation. And they were right, Chris. Because <laughs> I totally did that. I guess my, my final comments for the show, because I'm, I'm not, not going to ruin the ending of it. People should go and watch it to give it more yeah, views. They uh, but I will say this has one of the most horrific endings for some villains if you think yeah. about the further repercussions of it, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. If you watch it, like contact me online, I'll talk about it. But I enjoyed the show when it aired. It was a solid for me, like B, B plus show, but mm-hmm. hearing a conversation with you and knowing how seen you felt by this show has elevated the show, in my opinion, because cool. you get to hear me say a lot of that stuff. When we talk about black lightning and things, right. which mm-hmm. is more prevalent than what you do. And that gives us like another recontextualization of how important media is because this goes out to millions and millions of people and them getting to see it and engage with it gives them a perspective that's not their own. And Mm -hmm. after hearing your story, this is now like an A show for me because I know how much it impacted you and I know how much these other shows impact me. 
and, and similarly, um, I mentioned time, but like, you know, um, uh, I've got a better appreciation of, of Captain America and Winter Soldier after our talk. Um, I mean, I also thought I did better rewatch too, but also our talk really helped elevate it. You notice I've been calling Captain America and Winter Soldier the whole time as a result of this <laughs> entire episode. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, there's one reason why I'm glad we're doing this podcast is for conversations like this because um, you're right. I mean, I, I love hearing your experiences on this stuff, but it's not often I can kind of come on the other side and it's like, you know, yes, I'm seeing because there's LARPers in here. Oh, yeah, and also hearing lots, I guess, but LARPers. Um, I mean, no, it's, 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 this stuff really matters. And it was one thing for me to intellectually understand it. It's another thing to combination of me experiencing it and me continuing to hear from folks like you and other people. I was like, no, it brings a real joy that's almost mm -hmm. hard to explain. And if that's the only thing this podcast does is us just kind of continuing to yammer into the winds, how much joy it brings us to see ourselves on the screen, then this podcast is worth it. Absolutely. So in the, the vein of seeing things that are not at all like us on the screen, what are we going to do next week? We're going to go back to the 1990 version of Captain America. Because I want to talk more about beep, 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 beep. TVA interruption, TVA interruption. Uh, in reality, we're going to cover Loki next week. And if for people who are curious why we did Hawkeye before Loki, uh, behind the scenes creative decision, because I could talk about Hawkeye, but you would not have had the joy of hearing Eddie's dulcet tones go on about his favorite superhero. You had heard me say, he's a guy with a bow and a stick. A guy with a bow and a stick. Explosive arrows. <laughs> And you would not have gotten the very cool conversation that you had. Instead, you'd have got a talk about trick arrows. One of them is better than the other one, and I think Eddie's is better. We did, still, we did still talk about trick arrows. Don't get me wrong. Buddy, I have like 20 minutes of trick arrow jokes and sticks <laughs> I can went with. You know it, and I know it, and our listeners know it. Just say it. Instead, next week, we're going to talk about the time travel shenanigans of Loki. And oh, yeah. it'll be season one, episode one, Glorious oh, yeah, Purpose. Right. I know, my jokes are so good, you lose track sometimes. Uh, do, season track. one, episode five, Journey into Mystery. And we're going to spoil it because I think this is the best episode of the Loki season. Season one, episode six, for all time, always. Right. And with that, now that I remember the format of our own show, we will see you all next week.